Hello there and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Stuart Weir in the UK and by guest analyst Ayada Wairinga, who's in Nairobi, Kenya. On this week's show, we look ahead to the UEFA Champions League final and this Kenyan interest on both sides as Liverpool play Tottenham. We take a look at Africa's chances in the FIFA Women's World Cup, which is a week away, and we have a report on Cameroon's progress. Um, we just want to perform better than they did last World Cup, so um, yeah, we, we have set the standards pretty high. Plus a look at Aston Villa as they win the championship playoff. Well, the Africa Cup of Nations finals in Egypt are just three weeks away now as teams continue with their preparations. And before that to look forward to, after Chelsea won the Europa League final, we have the eagerly awaited UEFA Champions League final on this Saturday with Liverpool playing Tottenham in Madrid in the climax of what has been a thrilling competition. Ida Waringa is our guest analyst on the show this week. Ida is in Nairobi and this Kenyan interest on both sides with Harambe Stars captain Victor Wanyama in the Tottenham squad and Divock Origi, who was a hero for Liverpool in the semi-final win over Barcelona. Origi's father played for the Kenya national team. Uh, so Ida, how excited have fans in Kenya been about the contribution of these two players? Well, Steve, the interest has been huge. The news trended for quite some time after those very dramatic semifinals. And the Champions League, you know, is always something that has everyone buzzing. But I will admit that the last time there was this much excitement locally was in 2010 when McDonald Mariga, who incidentally happens to be Victor Wanyama's elder brother, by the way, became the first Kenyan to win the Champions League. About Devo Korigi, now, despite him technically not being a Kenyan citizen, a lot of people still really consider him to be a son of our soil. Now, he was born in Belgium, but his father, who is a Kenyan legend by the name of Mike Origi Okoth, has made a lot of people still consider him to be Kenyan back home. Origi actually considered playing for Kenya before settling for Belgium for, you know, what I would imagine are obvious reasons. I'm hoping the time will allow me to tell you a very quick story, Steve. That Liverpool comeback against Barcelona was actually brewed 31 years ago. You see, Origi's father, Mike, started off as a goalkeeper for a local club, but he used to concede so many goals and the last straw came as a 4-1 drubbing. Now, that was a turning point for Michael Koth, who shifted from being a goalkeeper to a striker. Now, that move saw him become one of the best strikers in the country. He guided Kenya to back-to-back -back Afcons. This, of course, earned him a move to Belgian club Genk, where he settled and had a son called Divok. The rest, as they say, is history. Yeah, well, quite a story. And uh, which team's got more support there, Ida? Is it Tottenham or Liverpool? And who are you tipping to win? I'm going to go with Tottenham. And just because Victor Wanyama is not only a local hero, he's really, really loved in the region as well. I mean, our neighbours, Tanzania, even have a road named after him. Now, the two best supported clubs in the country are actually Manchester United and Arsenal. But the Liverpool fan base in Kenya, though not too big, is slowly growing because of the African connection. Lots of people here really like the likes of Salah and Sadio Mane. They're very, very popular here. 
So many are hoping that Wanyama will follow in the footsteps of his elder brother, MacDonald Mariga, who became the first Kenyan to win the Champions League back with Inter Milan in 2010. And Victor might just do it with Tottenham, making him the second Kenyan to lift that very prestigious title. We all know what Liverpool and Tottenham can do on a good day. But looking at Liverpool, it's been fantastic for them to reach their second final inside of two years with their attacking formation of Mo Salah, Sadio Mane, the likes of Bobby Firmino. We all know that potential. And it was really good to see the likes of Divo Corrigi showing what he can do in their absence. Their midfield is on lock. And with Virgil van Dijk coming in over the last season, he's absolutely changed the focus and core of the team, especially at the back. And he's really solidified and brought in what I feel was the missing element in terms of making Liverpool a title contending team. Now, we saw that they lost out on the last day in what was a very dramatic English Premier League and they will be hoping to compensate for that with a win in the Champions League. Focusing on Tottenham, they will be buoyed by the fact that Harry Kane is back. We saw what Lucas Moura, the likes of Hyung Son Min, could do with his absence. And it's also been really good to see what Mauricio Pochettino has been able to achieve with the club on a budget of zero because Pochettino wasn't able to buy any new players in the last transfer window. So it's a bit tricky. I really do feel it could fall either way. The thing with finals is sometimes it's difficult to predict a whole number of variables could change it at the very last minute, but it definitely will be a very entertaining one, Steve. Well, thanks for that insight from Kenya. Aida Waringa is our guest analyst this week from Nairobi. Uh, Here in Zimbabwe, there's overwhelming support for Liverpool. Not that many Tottenham fans here. Uh, Liverpool and Man United are the two most popular English Premier League clubs. Uh, Zimbabwe's Bruce Grabala was Liverpool's goalkeeper back in the 80s and the early 90s. That's how so many people fell in love with the Reds. Let's go to Stuart Weir in the UK and Stuart, two Champions League final defeats for Liverpool manager Jurgen Klopp and I guess he can't afford to lose this one. Well, yes indeed, Steve. Poor old Jurgen Klopp has not only lost two Champions League finals, one with Dortmund and one with Liverpool, but he's actually lost the last six cup finals he's been in. Two Champions Leagues, two German Cups with Dortmund and the League Cup and the Europa League with Liverpool. So not a great cup final record. But I don't know. It's just too close to call. Experience would say Liverpool, who've been to the European Cup or Champions League eight times before, winning it five times. Tottenham never been there. Liverpool have been more consistent this season, finished above Tottenham. But then it is a one-off game. Tottenham have a little bit of an issue as to what to do with Harry Kane, who we understand is actually going to be fit for the game. But do you risk him first time he's played in a month? And if you do, who do you leave out? Son, the Korean, who's been magnificent this season. Lucas Moura, without his hat-trick, they wouldn't be in the final. So it's not an easy selection. It's a risk playing Harry Kane, but if you don't play him, and you lose, then there's criticism. So, too close to call, but I suppose Liverpool are favourites. Yes, they have to be, but indeed anything can happen. 
Thanks, Stuart. Uh, Next here on Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport, to the FIFA Women's World Cup, which starts next week in France and runs from the 7th of June to the 7th of July, with 24 teams taking part. The USA are the defending champions. They've won three of the previous seven editions, and Africa's three representatives are Nigeria, Cameroon and South Africa. They were the top three at last year's Africa Women's Cup of Nations. South Africa are there for the first time. Nigeria have been to all seven editions and the Super Falcons have got out of the group stage only once. So that was in 1999 where they got to the second stage, which was the quarterfinals in a 16-team tournament. Uh, Cameroon have only been there once before. That was at the 2015 edition where they did very well to reach the second round. So it's a second appearance for the indomitable Lionesses and Njie Eno sent us this report from Yaoundé. Four years after they first stunned the planet with thrilling football and around 16 exit, Cameroon's women's team will head to their second World Cup in France with great expectations. The indomitable lionesses, four-time finalist of the Women's Africa Cup of Nations, will come up against Canada, the Netherlands and New Zealand in Pool E. The team's coach, Alain Jumfa, who only assumed duties late January, is banking on the experience of his side, having named a squad that has an average age of 27. The first ambition of our country is to give the good football, have good players, to win many matches. That is our ambition, and to qualify to the soccer. And he's the best player that we should take in the national team. Where you see the player that we have there, he's the best of our country. A kingpin in Coach Jumfer's plans for the World Cup is Estelle Laura Johnson, the defender on the books of Sky Blue FC in the USA. Born in Marwa to an American father and a Malian mother, was eligible to play for Mali, USA and Cameroon. The 30-year-old pledged her allegiance to Cameroon and she nurtures big hopes for the World Cup in France. It's amazing. Um, I wasn't expecting so much support, so it was awesome. It just gives us even more courage to go fight and try to bring the cup back to Cameroon. I feel very honored and very happy to be included. I just want to have a good performance. As a team, um, we just want to perform better than they did last World Cup. So, um, yeah, we we have set the standards pretty high. It's not going to be easy. Every team in the World Cup is going to be good. So we just have to play the way we know how to play, and I think everything will fall into place. But while the coach and players of Cameroon are fired up ahead of the event, pundits are cautiously optimistic. Some of the choices made by coach Alain Jumfa have been questioned. His decision to sideline teenage attacking sensation Mpe Bisson Christina, who scored 23 goals this season in Cameroon's domestic championship, hasn't gone down well. Leo Kadia Bongben is the team's former media officer. And Lawrence Nkede is a sports pundit. I'm disappointed because you cannot have a player who has scored 23 goals. You leave her behind. She has been there all this while, played the local league, trained with the team, and then you drop her at the end of the day. It's disappointing in the sense that even in warming the bench, Mpebison deserved to be at the World Cup. 
We have to be ambitious. If our objective is not to get to the quarterfinals, no need of going to that World Cup. We need to set our ambitions before going to the World Cups. You have the best goal scorer and you need to take such players in order to promote even the local league. Present to the world that this is our league, this is a product from our local league, this is our best goal scorer. We leave her behind. It's not the first time she has been left behind. She has been left behind even at the preparatory phases of uh, the 2018 Women uh, African Cup of Nations. But unfortunately, Coach Harlan Jemfa has made his choices. We just hope he doesn't regret uh, that choice. But the name at the center of controversies is that of Gail Nganamwit. The 26-year-old forward is convalescing and has been without a club since leaving Spanish side Malaga in April. This season, the former African Women's Footballer of the Year played just two games for the Spanish outfit and has had to deal with a series of injury setbacks since the 2015 World Cup, where she scored a hat-trick against Ecuador. Sports pundits Risha Onanena and Leocadia Bongben aren't very sure what to make of this decision. She played at Afghanian Cameroon. She didn't score any goal. But what people expect is that maybe she will have comeback, spiritual flashback and remind us what she did in 2015 when she scored three goals. She's not healthy, but we believe that if the coach decides that he's bringing Gaiane Ngalamut, he have his reason. She's a good name, but actually we've not seen her play for the past years. It's normal that people are asking why her name is on that list. Gael is a player who shines while others play. For now, I believe they rushed her back to the team when she was injured. They should have allowed her get proper treatment. They rushed her back and spoiled her career. In 2016, she shouldn't have played that Nations Cup because it's at that time she was supposed to stay and follow the proper treatment. The nation, the politics, the everything rushed her back. And today, I am not sure she's fit. Despite the doubts over Nganamwit's ability to change things for Cameroon, Lioness's lead trainer Alain Jumfa is strongly convinced she can be an asset to the team. Ganamwit is one of our best players since uh, four years. Now she has some problems. I see, uh, she has to be with us. I see after that, we have to look for the situation of Gael and to take the, the best decision. That she has to come to work and we see if all she is, uh, is good. We have a program, we have a plan. The indomitable lionesses of Cameroon begin their French adventure with a clash against Canada on June 10 in Montpellier. That look at the chances of the indomitable lionesses of Cameroon from Planet Sport Football Africa's Njie Eno in Yaoundé. Well, Ida Waringa is our guest analyst on the show this week. Uh, Ida is in Nairobi, Kenya. Uh, what are you expecting from the African teams at the FIFA Women's World Cup? Getting out of the group stage will be big for all three African teams, Steve. But I would love for South Africa to be the surprise package. I mean, they did so well at last year's Auckland, and Tembi Katlana is simply out of this world. She really showed what she's made of, and I really like the fact that CAF recognized that at this year's awards. I've also liked the fact that there has been a much deeper conversation about equality of women's wages in relation to men in South Africa, and that's something that other countries are yet to even discuss. With that said, their group isn't easy, so we'll definitely see how they'll do. 
I'm not so sure about Nigeria, Steve. The simple fact being that South Africa pushed them so hard in the Ocon final, and that said a lot. Nigeria looked to have underrated the competition, and that almost cost them. Also, for a team that's always at the World Cup, I've never really been impressed by the administration's preparations for such events. Hopefully, the Cyprus Cup and WAFU will have prepared them somewhat. Add that to the fact that Asisat seems to have adjusted well at Barcelona, so we'll see what the Super Falcons can do. I think that they're also lucky that they'll be facing a Norway without Ballon d'Or winner Ada Hedebug. As for Cameroon, they actually have what seems to be the easiest group according to me. New Zealand, Canada and Netherlands aren't necessarily the worst opposition to be facing, but it just might be the opposite of what I'm thinking. Yeah, I think it will be tough for all of them, but I'm hoping that at least Cameroon can get out of the group stage uh, as they did last time. South Africa didn't do very well in their preparations in terms of winning games, but uh, they are gaining experience. And uh, there's always hope for Nigeria as far as I'd say, but uh, for the African teams to get to the quarterfinals, that will be very hard. So at least if someone can get to the round of 16, I think that would be fairly good going. Asking for your thoughts on this on social media this week, what are you expecting? from the African teams at the Women's World Cup. Only twice has an African team got out of the group stage. That was Nigeria, who got to the quarterfinals back in 1999, and Cameroon on their debut appearance got to the second round four years ago. So what are you expecting? You can go to our Facebook page, that's Planet Sport Football Africa, and post a comment there, or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero well this is planet sport football africa brought to you by passion for sport and you can download our app and listen to the show anytime and access past programs too in our archive to download go to the play store or the apple itunes app store and enter planet sport football africa you can also listen on our New Look website, that's planetsport.tv. Our other shows are there too, that's Planet Sport and the Planet Sport Rugby podcast. And you can read interviews with various sports stars, including Ghana's Christian Achu and Zambia's Patson Daka. That's on our New Look website, planetsport.tv. Well, now we turn to social media and Esperance of Tunisia have been playing Widad Casablanca of Morocco in this season's CAF Champions League final. The tie finally balanced after a 1-1 draw in the first leg in Casablanca. It's the third year in a row that there's been an all-North African final. And the CAF Confederation Cup final also had two North African teams, with Egypt's Zamalek beating Renaissance Burkhan of Morocco on penalties. So last week we asked, why are the North African clubs dominating these competitions so much? On WhatsApp, Daniel in Ghana says, I believe they have an enabling environment to develop players and players who love and have passion for the game. It's no wonder they're dominating, says Daniel. Look at what went wrong with West African teams like Asik Mimosas, Asante Kotoko and Ayimba of Nigeria, to just mention a few. On the other hand, determination counts sometimes, so let's see what next season holds for the East, West and Southern African teams. Amadou Baji in the Gambia thinks the key is investment. The North African countries have invested in football, says Amadou. They respect football and their grounds are well constructed. Many facilities are in place allowing them to play good, beautiful football, better than the East, the West and the South, says Amadou. 
And Jovan in Uganda agrees, saying those clubs in North Africa have good training facilities and good academies, and there's no corruption. So these are some of the reasons that they do better in these competitions, says Jovan. And the point of investment is also picked up by Lamine Yusufa Kale in the Gambia. One of the factors is that they have money, says Lamine. The biggest clubs in the Maghreb can have yearly budgets upwards of $10 million. And indeed, investment is the main factor named by many listeners this week, like Frida Vihenda Okachi, who's in Kenya. But a Domingo member in the Gambia says they have better leagues than other parts of Africa. And in Uganda, Arena Itwe Emi says, I believe North Africa has got talent in football and their behaviour on the pitch is a credit to them. Down here, we have a lot to learn from them. Their top professionals like Salah and Mares are a good example to us, says Arena Itwe. In Zambia, Ricky Ngulube says, I think the North African clubs have taken time to invest in football because they know that football is business. Before we knew about having foreign-based players in our league here in Zambia, these countries had them already. I know our own Kenneth Malitoli played for Esperance of Tunisia in the 90s, which shows how much they've invested in the game, says Ricky. Modu Drami in the Gambia believes the root answer lies off the pitch. They have better club administration, says Modu, and better funds and stadiums. Their club history is better than many other African clubs, where gross corruption is the order of the day. On the other hand, Noble Botamani in Malawi thinks geography plays a large part. North African clubs are dominating CAF competitions because they're close to Europe, where there is advanced football, says Noble. Amadou Tamba in the Gambia highlights the investment in young players. It's simple, says Amadou. Africa in general has talent, but North Africa can boast of a lot of young stars and clubs have the money to get the best African players. We always welcome your voice notes on what's happening in Malawi. Here's Baitan Mchiko. There are way off in terms of administration and even the technical part of it. They are able to buy prayers. They have money. Whereas South African teams, or even those from the East, they don't have such kind of money. Uh, thanks for that, Byton. Moma Tambajang in the Gambia says the North African clubs are well organised and they sign quality instead of quantity in terms of players and they pay good wages, says Moma. Obena in Nigeria agrees and takes that point further, saying the players are well paid, so some very good players from other parts of the continent move to the north to ply their trade. Imagine the likes of Leicester's Wilfred Ndidi and Alex Iwobi of Arsenal staying back in Nigeria to play for the likes of Ayimba. Other parts of Africa should emulate the North Africans by strengthening their leagues. It's a wake-up call, says Obena. Francisco Dodoma in Malawi says across Africa we tend to play to different football philosophies. The Western countries like Cameroon play differently from the Southern teams like South Africa. That's the case too with the North African team, says Francisco. And finally, Lamine Cham in Congo Brazzaville says football is only money. North Africans invest in football more than any other part of the continent. Why is TP Mezembe the most successful team apart from the northern clubs? It's because the owner is a very rich man, says Lamine. Yes, sir, Moise Katumbi is the owner of the Congolese side TP Mezembe. Also, I could add to that uh, Mamelodi Sundowns of South Africa. Their owner is a billionaire, Patrice Motsepe. 
Well, thanks very much for all of those comments. Apologies if we didn't have time to read out yours. Uh, just to sum this up, uh, what are your views on this, Ida? couple of things to consider here, Steve. Structure and organization, money and home support. North African clubs actually seem to be the most organized clubs in the continent. They have amazing structure. They have good hierarchy when it comes to organization of the different roles that everyone will play at the clubs. And of course, the money isn't too bad. They have some of the highest wages and salaries that they're able to support in the continent. Now, when it comes to home support, now, just giving you an example of the final that was between SC Zamalek and Aris Berkane, that was the CAF Confederation Cup final over the weekend. Now, Zamalek won that in front of an almost full capacity at 86,000. That's actually Santiago Barnabu levels. That was amazing to see that stadium packed to full capacity. And with such support, you have no option but to do well, not just for your team, but for the 12th man in the stands. Yes, you're amazing support for that game. Thanks, Ida. Uh, finally, let's go back to Stuart Weir in the UK and the game that's dubbed the richest game in football, the championship playoff, saw Aston Villa beating Derby 2-1 in the final on Monday to earn promotion to the English Premier League, which is worth an estimated $215 million, that by virtue of getting into the Premier League. It used to be that the top three clubs in the championship were promoted to the Premier League. But now it's just the first two who go up, with the third, fourth, fifth and sixth clubs playing off in a semi-finals and final with the winner going into the Premier League as the third promoted club. So Aston Villa, who finished fifth and seven points behind Leeds United in third place, and Derby County, who were sixth, who were the two clubs who contested the so-called 200 million dollar match and in the end Aston Villa beat Derby 2-1 so Villa will be in the Premier League next season and that's good news for us because they have three African players Ahmed El Mohamedi from Egypt and Albert Adoma the Ghanaian international both played in the Wembley final while Jonathan Kojir from Cote d'Ivoire was on the bench and incidentally Aston Villa is owned by Nassif Sawiris, an Egyptian billionaire businessman whose net worth is estimated to be around $8 billion, making him the fourth richest man in Africa. Well, Aston Villa are a very traditional English football club. They've won the league championship seven times, the FA Cup seven times, although most of those were 50 to 100 years ago. But they did win the Champions League, or the European Cup, as it was called, in 1982. And in the Championship this year, they've played regularly in front of crowds of 35 to 40,000. So you might say they're a Premier League club in waiting, and perhaps that gives them more chance of surviving than some of the others. Aston Villa's share of the television money, even if they finish bottom of the table next season, will be around $125 million. They will also get $90 million in so-called parachute payments. That is money which is paid to relegated clubs to help them adjust to life in the championship for their first two seasons. 
But if Villa manage to survive two seasons, then they're guaranteed a minimum $375 million. So you can see why clubs are keen to get into the Premier League. The Villa manager is Dean Smith, an English manager who had a good career at different levels in the Football League in England, Sheffield Wednesday and Leighton Orient being two of his clubs. He also was manager of Walsall and Brentford before being chosen by Aston Villa. Interestingly, the club he supported as a boy, but this will be his first experience in the Premier League. Didier Drogba was in the stadium to see Derby County, managed by Frank Lampard, and Aston Villa, whose assistant manager is John Terry, a real Chelsea feel to the day. Just want to mention the League One playoff game, where Charlton Athletic beat Sunderland to get into the Championship next season. And this just illustrates how hard it is when a club is relegated, because in 2006, Charlton were in the Premier League, and now, 13 years later, they've come out of League One into the Championship. Sunderland were in the Premier League as late as 2016, before being relegated in successive seasons. Charlton have now started the long climb back, but Sunderland remain in the third tier of English football. Yes, I remember that. A good spell that Charlton had in the Premier League some years ago. And for Sunderland, uh, quite some fall from grace for them. We'll see how Aston Villa do back in the top flight together with Norwich and Sheffield United. Well, thanks, Stuart. Uh, That's it for this week. We're asking, though, on social media, what are you expecting from the African teams at the FIFA Women's World Cup? It starts next week. Uh, Cameroon, Nigeria and South Africa are representing the continent. Uh, Nigeria have been to all seven editions but have only got out of the group stage once. Uh, Cameroon made their debut appearance at the last edition and they got to the second round. So what are you expecting from the continent's representatives at the FIFA Women's World Cup? You can post a comment on our Facebook page that's Planet Sport Football Africa or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero that's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero from me, Steve Vickers in Harare, from Stuart Weir in the UK, and from our guest analyst Ida Wairinga in Nairobi, Kenya. Thanks a lot for listening, and Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.